What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, today, I'm going to talk about the Damian Lillard trade, which happened yesterday. Sending Damian Lillard to the Milwaukee Bucks, of all places, um, in exchange for... Um, Drew Holiday going to Portland, which he won't be there much any longer. A bunch of draft picks going to Portland. And within this construct, DeAndre Ayton goes to uh, the Phoenix Suns. Oh, and I think um, <clears throat> Grayson Allen went to Portland. And uh, um, DeAndre Ayton went to Portland. Yusuf Nurkic went to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, and a bunch of other depth players for the uh, Phoenix Suns. Now, I, I I think it's become eminently clear because most of the reporting, there was a lot of opinions and stuff like that going on, including yours truly. Um, a lot of the smoke and whatever was going on around this situation was centered around a lot of erroneous reporting. Um, there was one simple fact that was made clear to me by the people I spoke to in the league was that it became clear. A lot of people didn't know, by the way, a lot of people didn't know, uh, even within the league, how, what Portland was communicating with, because the market was depressed by, by a lot of different factors. The biggest factor was not Damian Lillard insisting on, uh, the Miami heat. <clears throat> the biggest factor, as I pointed out in a few podcasts ago, it was his age. Damian Lillard's age and the length of his contract was the, a really big determining factor in depressing the market um, because his contract is huge and he will be 36 by the end of it. Um, and then you throw in there, uh, obviously, his desire to go to only Miami, which was stated at the time, um, and you get what you get. I think that one thing that was underreported but hinted at multiple times in vo in multiple places, which is something that I only really got a hint of yet last night when I spoke to some people, was um, it, this kind of came into focus in the last couple of weeks. And it only came into focus when the Blazers decided they needed to get to trade Dame Lillard before media day. It was an organizational decision on the Bla and the Blazers' part to move. There had been, from everyone I've, I've uh, been able to talk to who's been getting pieces of this thing, is that the Heat and the uh, Blazers did not speak post-July from everything I've been able to piece together. Uh, Shams has talked about it, too. Uh, there was no communication between them uh, as far as a trade goes, and uh, it was... I mean, who knows who's at fault here? There could be the Miami just was playing it cool or the Blazers just didn't want to uh, send Dame to Miami. Um, I tend to think that the the preponderance of the way that I have you know, control in this situation lies with the Portland Trail Blazers. So I tend to think that they just didn't want to trade uh, Dame to Miami which is their prerogative. Damian Lillard has four years left. Well, three years in a player option. So they, they don't really have the, uh, the, they don't, they, they weren't in any half to situation. If, they, if, if Lillard was even with two years left on his deal, their leverage would have been significantly different. Say if he didn't sign that extension last off season. So obviously 
the cards were in the Blazers' um, pockets, um, and they knew that that what they wanted. I don't think, just based on my judgment, I don't think they ever wanted to send him to Miami. My thought was that the closer it got to media day, the leverage would go to Miami. But if they chose to completely not engage with Miami, then that was going to be that. Um, Based on everyone who I, all the reporting I've read and everyone I've talked to, this really came into focus the last two weeks with the Raptors and the uh, the Bucks coming into focus, and maybe some other teams. There was rumors of the Nets being part of it. Um, I I don't know. I I can't couldn't confirm that, but it was definitely the Raptors and the uh, and the and the Bucks. And I will get to the Raptors in a second. Um, I'll get to them in the second half because I'm going to devote the second half of this thing to to really talking about Masai Ujiri and and the way he's approached things the last five years. But there is a, there was clear by the time you get to this point that the Blazers had wanted nothing to do with Miami for whatever reason, their reasons are their own. I can only speculate and I'm not going to on this podcast. Um, I think, I think we have a situation where they stumbled into the Bucks having a crisis of their own with Giannis. If that didn't happen, they were going to be left with a Toronto deal and having to go back to Miami. They were lucked into the Bucks and Giannis uh, being expressing uh, his opinions on having uh, uh, the team improve. And this was something that obviously motivated the Bucks and got them into much like the last time when they traded for Drew Holiday in 2021 um, or 2020. There was a there was this we have to do this now thing. Well, once again, the Bucks were left with a choice, and they went in on Dame Lillard. And I think it was fortunate that Lillard was okay with going and playing with Giannis. And they were fortunate that the Bucks were in this situation. Because otherwise, I don't think Toronto offered much. And I don't think Dame Lillard had any real desire to play in Toronto. No offense to anyone who is uh, um, someone in Canada who is listening to this right now. I just got the sense that uh if there was a if there was a resistance here uh that that the 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 raptors weren't going to go all in in on this and that's after talking to multiple people here um and once again second half of the podcast we're going to talk about the raptors and and uh because of you know i do know Masai not intimately but i do know him a little and i kind of want to address his approach to things but we're coming back to the trade the most hysterical part of this is going to be two things. Drew Holiday is going to be part of a bigger bidding war than Lillard. And that seems kind of backwards considering Lillard is a much better player. But Drew Holiday is also on a one-year deal. And he also can help your team in specific ways that add to your team and don't subtract from your team. The Bucks got worse on defense with adding Lillard, but they got much better offensively, which was their main problem. So they traded off one thing to get another. And it's going to be interesting to watch that unfold in the East, particularly with 
a lot of questions swirling around other teams, particularly the Sixers. Uh, so obviously that, that since they already had Giannis, it was good for them to be able to add someone like, uh, Lillard because I don't think they necessarily gave up a quote a ton. I do think that they gave up the most desired as, um, uh, asset they had, obviously outside of, of, of Giannis. And, um, what that's going to do with for Portland is actually start a bidding war for Drew Holiday and Drew Holiday is going to have a ton of suitors. The, the, it will be ironic to me that the, the, the thing that will probably get the buck or excuse me, the Blazers, the most assets will be Drew Holiday. Um, because if you look at the haul they got for, uh, for Lillard, it wasn't a tremendous amount. It wasn't as bad as, uh, what Washington got for uh, Bradley Beal um, and it wasn't as good as say what the Nuggets got for Carmelo Anthony it was it was a it was an okay deal for them and they got DeAndre Ayton who they they liked they wanted part of their team I th he is a Chauncey player through and through okay and if anyone who can get Chauncey he can can get through to DeAndre Ayton and, and, and make him something it's going to be Chauncey Billups um, so Obviously, there is a lot of extenuating circumstances there as far as what they were able to get because Lillard was a different. He was on this longer deal. He only wanted one team. The market was depressed, yada, yada, yada. So they made the absolute best they could. I think the Heat deal, inevitably, if they offered their max deal, probably would have been better um, than what they got. Um, but they wanted Aiton. And I think since Aiton was part of this, this was always going to be exclusionary of Miami if you don't even if you don't add in the fact that they don't really want to trade Dame to Miami that was that was it's just clear that that is something that Joe Cronin did not want to do um so all that aside let's talk about the Phoenix Suns they got a they got various players and one Yusuf Nurkic um when I saw that Yusuf Nurkic went to uh, the Phoenix Suns, I laughed and laughed and laughed. And there is there is a, I, I don't have any sources who have any intimate knowledge of the Suns, so I'm going to give you I'm going to give you my opinion based on just an outside thing. I think they obviously valued Nurkic, and they really didn't want Aiton on the club anymore because that bridge was not only burned it was torched and salt the earth was salted there was no chance that of them any of any sort of productive relationship happening after that so it was good that they moved off of him getting Yusuf Nurkic is not going to be the W they think it is and and it will be I mean putting aside his history with the Denver Nuggets Yusuf Nurkic is um, not exactly the most consistent player on the planet, and he gets injured all the time because he's big. I I stood next to to you. I was around his rookie year. I was around his second year, and I was around the half year he spent after that in Denver. Uh, I knew your Nurkic on a first name basis. At one point, he patted me on top of the head. Uh, as he was leaving the court and said, uh, uh, coach doesn't ever talk to me. <laughs> it's something he actually said to me and his hand was huge. He has enormous hands. Uh, you've seen pictures of his father. So, um, Nurkic was a guy who I thought was, is, is good in certain situations and he was good with Dame. Um, but he is not a defensive stalwart. 
He doesn't move very well. And in order for him to move well, he's going to have to lose a ton of weight. And I don't know if he's capable of losing that much weight, just just on body type. It's kind of like Jokic. And Jokic has lost a lot of weight, and he's a lot more fit. But certain body types are certain body types. And sometimes it's just a matter of your your general physical being. He gets injured all the time because he's big boned. You know how they always used to tell um, I had someone who was used used to be fat. Um, used to call me big boned. Um, this is uh, you. Nurkic is literally big boned. I mean, these, the man's just his frame is enormous. Um, and then there's the the if things don't go well for him, he tends to pout. And the pouting problem was always the biggest problem with the Nuggets. And I don't see that improving anytime. Nurkic is who he is at this point. And when I saw that the Suns traded him, I'm like, I traded him to the, or the traded for him. I just laughed. I just laughed and laughed and laughed. I was just going to make this rivalry with the Suns even more ridiculously hysterical. I mean, I, I just, I just couldn't believe it. And, you know, Nuggets fans who are going to be listening to this thing, I'm sure you were laughing too. So, all right, uh, on the second half of the podcast, I'm going to talk to you about my Masai Ujiri. I've been talking about Masai a lot lately, and I'm going to just kind of finish off my rant about him. This is just, it'll be my opinion uh, based on seeing what has transpired with the Raptors the last four years. And um, we'll see, uh, uh, well, we'll talk about that. Uh, but first, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in Beaver Lower Downtown. Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always online at bfwcolorado.com. they got a location in Fort Collins. they got a location in Golden, and obviously the one in the dairy block, plus the original place out in Sonoma County, California. Um, really, but though they're a great local Colorado business, and so they have partnerships with wineries all over the state to give you what you need if you wanted a taste of Colorado. Um, but in addition to that, they only also have their their own wine that they make themselves uh, from grapes from Sonoma County and uh, try the Cabernet. Every one of their Cabernets is really good. Um, and I, I highly suggest you check those out. Those, 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 their varietals of cabs are really good. Um, but they also got every other kind of wine that you need from whites to reds to blends to, uh, to uh, rosés, anything you want, and your favorite wine bar in Colorado. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blakenwazi in beautiful lower downtown, Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSU Podcast sent you. Masai Ujiri has to win every trade that he's a part of. He's extremely competitive. Probably one of the most competitive people I have ever been around. That's a great thing if you are really wanting to build something that's winning uh, in any sort of culture. Masai is uh, often more competitive than, than the players that he brings on his roster. Masai Ujiri is extremely competitive. He, he has, and you, you saw that when uh, uh, the, the the Raptors were playing the Nets, and he got fined for saying "fuck Brooklyn." You know, uh, he he's just got that running through him. And an, an extension of that is that he is a guy who needs to win, and that includes trades. 
Now, there's one thing I've, I've known as someone who has covered the league since 2009. There is something I have known that is a truism. If you, this is a relationships league and often trades are, are and, and transactions are done via relationships, via established partnerships, things like that. Um, things that, that you, you will see kind of like in any entertainment business, everything is networking. Everything is everyone who, you know, and there's only 30, uh, or 29 other GMs in the NBA. And, um, they operate on the basis of having relationships with other GMs and, and Masai is well liked and well respected. But one of the things that, um, I think, and this is just an interpretation, uh, uh that has gone on with Masai is that in a business where you have relationships with people, if you have to win every trade that you're a part of, you are going to limit your ability to transact. Um, because you know, it sounds weird to say that because if you're listening to this, you probably are naturally thinking, shouldn't the goal be to win every trade? Now, winning a trade is on a sliding scale. It's not the same when you're talking transactional things. There's obvious losses like the, the Nets trade for, uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce back in 2013, um, was or 12. I don't know. When was that? Anyway, um, that no, it's 13. Um, uh, that trade was, uh, an L for the, uh, for the nets that they gave up way too much for guys who were way too old. That is obviously a very clear loss. And it set the nets back for quite a bit because they gave up a lot. They gave up a lot of their draft picks. And obviously the Boston Celtics were the ones uh, who benefited from that. Another GM or slash president of basketball operations who operates that way is Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge is very much a get those, get those W's kind of GM. Um, but most of the league operates on a they got to feel that they got a win for them. So if you're transacting with someone, you got they have to got, get to a point where they feel like they got the best deal they possibly can get. And if you are a GM who all constantly operates on a I have to win every single trade thing, people will resist doing deals with you. And you have seen, at least in, once again, this is me interpreting this, you have seen in uh, uh, with in Toronto, the, since Kawhi Leonard left, the, a r large inability for the Raptors to make a deal to trade guys when they're at their peak value or before they get on the downside. Um, what happened this last off season with Fred Van Vliet is something that you never should allow to happen. Um, it's not quite Dem Dekevio Mutombo leaving in 1996, but it's a, it's a hole. It's guys leaving for nothing via free agency is never something that is optimum for not desired markets. And that's something that another thing that Toronto faces. And I think they encountered with, uh, Damian Lillard based on everything I've been able to, to piece together is that Lillard wasn't exactly enamored with going to Toronto and the Blazers were not in a mood to give their best offer because of that. And I think that obviously there is a, there is an, 
there is a disconnect between winning a trade and winning a transaction and just being able to make the right decision for your team. The Toronto Raptors are thoroughly mediocre. They are the definition of mediocre. And so and so they made the play on play in this last year. You know who else made the play in this last year? It was the Chicago Bulls. And the Chicago Bulls are also in that thoroughly mediocre category. And obviously, I'm not one of those people who insists on you either being terrible or excellent, because I think that's stupid, and the league cannot survive if you are either terrible or an excellent. I mean, that just doesn't work that way. The NBA thrives in its middle ground. They, they need mid-teams, as the kids would say. They need, need teams being mid. Uh, there's a frustration in that because you're always hoping that your team gets over the top. I'm, look, the Nuggets were constantly like that. In the early years of Carmelo Anthony and George Carl, they were always scraping in at the eighth seed. I think they got a sixth seed one year. Um, it was always it was always just at the end of it until they broke through a little bit and got to the higher end of the Western Conference bracket uh, with the Chauncey Billups trade. And Portland, excuse me, um, Toronto has these Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, but the three of those two guys together is not a even with Fred VanVleet on the on the roster it isn't wasn't it's not getting you anywhere. And um, there's a sense that the Raptors are just treading water; they're stuck. And being stuck is one of the worst things in the NBA. I, there's been times with the Denver Nuggets where they have been stuck. Um, I think the Shaw years are a perfect example of being stuck. Um, and this is coming on the heels of Tim Connolly really having to repair the Nuggets relationship with players after a couple of big trades Masai Ujiri made, um, after, and it was only because he had signed them to a contract and then traded them when at the soonest a moment possible that kind of hurt the Nuggets. And Tim Connolly had to come in and uh, really, I mean, Masai's great. You know, this is all in his, I need to win at everything. But there's a cost to that. And with the Nuggets, it was their reputation with players was hurt. So it really didn't rebound until Paul Millsap signed with the Nuggets in 2017. I'm going to be honest with you. Summer of 2017 is when, reputationally, the Nuggets started moot, turning around a bit. Um, it's still not 100%. I mean, Denver's not a desired market. Neither is Toronto. Never, neither is uh, Milwaukee. But when you're a team that we're, it's not in a desired market, you've got to be bold. And, and I think there has been a resistance to Masai Ujiri, at least in my interpretation, looking from the outside, looking in, there has been a repu there's a reputational hit that he's taken because of big wins, big W's, and, and needing to have that W. He's competitive. Masai Ujiri is competitive as heck, and I don't know him very well, right? I, I've, I've met him several times, but I doubt, I mean, if he saw me right now, I doubt he would even recognize me, okay? Um... My relationship with him is not what it was with Tim Connolly or Arturis Karnasovas or any of those guys in the Nuggets front office. Um, obviously, I do know people who are were probably much better acquainted with him. Um, but I haven't talked to anyone about Masai. 
Um, just this is me looking from the outside, looking in, looking at Masai Ujiri and what I knew of him when he was in Denver. I don't think it's changed. One of the most competitive people I have ever met. And I think that competitiveness sometimes backfires on you. I don't, I don't think he intends for this Raptors roster to be as mediocre as it is. I think he's just kind of stuck. And in order for him to break out of this, he is going to have to adjust his expectation with any deal he makes. And he's just going to have to start clearing stuff and then being bold because there's no one who's more bold than Masai Ujiri. I've talked about this, Kawhi Leonard and Andre Iguodala. He's willing to take those swings, but in order to take those swings, you got to give something up. You got to get, give something to get something. And Masai has got to be in a point where he is willing to give something up. It's going to have to be something. He can't give nothing up. Because if you have a roster of uh, O.J. Ananobi, uh, Pascal Siakam, uh, Scotty Barnes, and Grady Dick, um, and whoever else after that, it's okay. It's, it's not great. And I think as long as there's this this mindset with Masai, just based on my interpretation, uh, it's going to be stuck that way. Um, it's weird to say someone has to be less competitive in order to thrive in this league, but Masai has to be less competitive and he has to channel that into him in order to get better. Um, you know, I have, I, I, I'm going to have some guests on the podcast to preview the nugget season. Um, some that you've been well, well familiar with some that you have aren't. And, uh, they probably will tell you the same thing you got to give to get. And eventually, eventually with Masai Ujiri is going to happen. He's going to reach that point where he's, he, he, he says, I gotta, I gotta do something much like the Chicago Bulls. It's almost a carbon copy with the Chicago Bulls. Those are those two teams. Um, and that one features our friend, Arturis Karnasovas. So if you are reaching a point that you need to do something bold, then things begin to move. And I, I think that's what the Raptors really need. All right. Thank you all for joining me in the latest Morecast. Uh, I'll be back soon with another episode.